right, so I am uh, Austin Greco. I'm the youth pastor here at the church. If you don't know me, um, I'm sorry. Come and meet me after the service. Uh, I get to hang out with the 7th through 12th graders all the time, and they are a lot cooler than you. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. We're going to set the standard right off the bat. Um, but I love you guys, too, and I'm very honored and privileged to be here and, and to speak uh, and to preach um, God's word to you tonight. Uh, so this past week at Youth Group, we actually talked about fears. Uh, and we talked about some silly fears, like fear of balloons and fear of belly buttons and those kind of things. But, uh, so I want you to think right now of your worst fear, um, the thing in life that you fear the most. And I'm not really talking about those kind of fears, like the spiders, snakes kind of thing. My wife is terrified of any kind of thing that has legs and is about this big. And I'm like, you just stomp on it. You know, I have an irrational fear of those wooden swinging bridges, like, you know, Indiana Jones, cliff to cliff. Like, I, I almost fell off one when I was a kid and almost died. So it's not that irrational, but, like, when I pass a playground and they have the fake ones, my knees kind of shake a little still. So. Uh, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fears that are a little deeper. Uh, like, for me, I have a pretty strong fear of rejection. So if you tell me that you don't like me, uh, it's going to freak me out. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid of that. So everybody just... Right now, we like you, Austin. Yeah? Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Fear is gone. Uh, So I have a fear of rejection. Maybe you have a fear of being alone. Uh, Maybe you have a fear of not meeting up to expectations. Or maybe you, like two out of three of Americans, uh, have a fear of death or of dying. See, tonight we're going to explore a reason why I think we shouldn't have a fear of death or dying as Christians. Uh, We've all been told that there are two certainties in life. One is death and the other is taxes. Yes, right. So, but I would say that most most people in America and the world, second to public speaking, which I don't have much of a fear of, obviously, um, have a fear of death. And they will do anything to uh, avoid death. And maybe it's a fear because Uh, You're afraid of the way that you're going to die. Maybe you're afraid of uh, what you're going to leave behind. Or maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen to you after you die. This is a a very real fear for a lot of people in the world. I would argue that as Christians, we shouldn't really have this fear. I I want to propose that it actually takes more strength for us to live than it does to die. Now, by no means am I actually arguing that we should, like, seek out death. We should be, like, one of those thrill seekers that's like, yeah, I'm going to go die today. No, that's not, I'm not proposing that at all. Don't do that. But what I am saying is that there is a real, very real tension between us desiring to live for Christ and us desiring to be with Christ in heaven. So today we're going to talk about three truths of persecution uh, that will start to give us a eternal perspective, a perspective that will allow us to have strength to live and a readiness to die. So we're going to dive in with the first truth. Uh, the first truth about persecution is that persecution is and will happen. Persecution will happen and is happening for Christians. Uh, the Bible doesn't shy away from uh, the reality that the world utterly will hate us <laughs> and disdain us and will, will pursue us with angst. Um, Jesus says in John 15, uh, verses 18 through 20, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, 
the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember my word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Elsewhere in 1 Peter, Peter says this, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised, don't be surprised by fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And then Jesus later in, in John 16 uh, says this verse, and it's an encouraging verse, but it also has that first part of, this is going to happen. He says, in the world you will have the tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So since the very beginning Christianity, uh, the world has violently, ruthlessly, relentlessly persecuted those who follow Jesus, even Jesus himself. And it's still happening today. In North Korea right now, if you have any part of this on your person and the authorities catch you, they will put you to death. No questions asked. Most of the Christians there, if they've been caught and haven't been put to death, live in internment camps, imprisonment camps that are a lot like those that the Jews lived in during the Holocaust. We all know about ISIS and what they are doing in the Middle East as they ravage through towns, beheading Christians in front of their family members. These are things that are awful, awful things that are going on around the world. And, and I know for, for me, and, and it's, it's bad to say, but for me, this is, it's not like a shock and awe thing anymore, right? We, we all know the stories, we hear these things, uh, but they kind of roll off us like last week's sports news. For those of you who aren't baseball fans, the Cubs won the World Series. Woo, yes, that is good news if you're a Cubs fan. It has been 108 years that's like longer than the NFL has been around uh, since they won the World Series. So there are like millions of Cubs. I think I saw a thing that said there are five, there was five million fans at the Cubs parade. So there are millions of Cubs fans around the world in the United States. I'm not a Cubs fan and I stayed up until like 1 a.m. super excited about it because it was history. It was a big deal, right? But by Friday, that was Tuesday I think, by Friday I wasn't, I wasn't really concerned with it anymore. By the middle of next season, the Cubs fans will be wishing that they're winning another one. It's not, it, it just rolls off. That's how it is for these stories. We, we hear these things and, and we, we think, that's, that's terrible. We might say a prayer. We might shed a tear if you're in touch with your emotions. I'm not, so I even rarely do that. And then we kind of just move on. And we don't really think about it until the next headline comes up. And this isn't how it should be, right? This isn't something we should be in a routine of. See, I would argue that we should be praying for them, supporting them. Like I said earlier, there are website upon website. The Voice of the Martyrs is like out in the world supporting these people and finding out where they're at so that we can support them here in America. We should be mindful of this, that it could happen to us right? It, it, it probably won't, like, tomorrow, and it probably won't even within, like, the next five to ten years, but it could happen here. But I will say this. I, I, I think that 
persecution does happen in America. Uh, and, and if you are living out your call to spread the gospel to one another and to the people around you, you probably have experienced it. Rarely does it happen in violence. Once or twice it has um, since I've been alive, that it was specifically people targeting Christians. But mostly it comes through slander, right? Like somebody talks bad about you or rejection uh, or we're outcasts. We kind of lay on the outcasts of society because we actually hold to some morals and some value and truth. Uh, that, we, that we have. Maybe it comes through uh, people telling lies about us, that we're people of hate rather than people of love. Maybe at school or at work you, you kind of have been outlying on the social realm, like you don't have a lot of friends, or you actually bring your Bible or you talk about your faith and um, life is made more difficult for you. Maybe some of you have been fired, not for that because they can't do it, but you know it's really, that's, that's their motive. See, persecution comes from a different angle for us here in America. And maybe you haven't experienced it yet, but I, I want to promise you that if you are actually living out your call to spread the gospel, then it should, and it will. Almost all of the disciples experienced it. I think all of them did. Um, and Paul experienced it. And so we're going to talk about Paul for the rest of the time, and we're going to be in Philippians. So I want you to uh, bring out your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 12. And we're going to read verse 12 through 14, and then we're going to skip down uh, to read 19 through 25. So in this first chapter of uh, Philippians, we find Paul in prison uh, for living out his faith. It, he's in the midst of suffering and, and persecution. He's in prison, and he doesn't really know if uh, execution is going to come yet. He's not sure. He's writing to the church of Philippi to encourage them and to challenge them uh, to live with the same perspective that he has, to keep their eyes on the things above, on the things of heaven, of the eternal things, and not of the things of this world. So like I said, we're going to read in verse 12, and, and uh, then we'll skip down to 19 through 25 if you want to follow along. It says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We'll skip down to 19. He says, For I know that your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is eager, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Interesting. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I will remain and continue with you all of you, for your progress and joy in the faith. 
So Paul lived in a manner in which eternity, you know, life after death was constantly on his mind. He thought, he acted, he lived in a, in a way where his love for Jesus was so much that he understood the importance of living. But he desired to be with him, and so that death was not really a problem for him at all. And his persecution, I think, put all of this into perspective for him and for his audience. His love for Christ was his strength to live and his readiness to die. So this is the second truth about persecution. It's this. Persecution has a purpose. When Paul is talking about him and being in prison, he says this, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The first purpose of persecution, or really any trial in our life, is the advancement of the gospel. The way that Paul endured this suffering, the way that he preached while he was imprisoned, was a testimony to the guards and to all the prisoners around him. He was able to show that no matter what, God, the gospel, loving him, was on the forefront of his mind. God uses this persecution uh, as a testimony to the people around him, to the guards, to the non-believers, to those who are persecuting him, which I think is interesting. Paul does not wait until persecution comes, though, to spread this gospel. It's always on his mind, and I think that's part of the reason that he's able to preach the gospel when persecution does come. See, Paul understood that the gospel is what saves people. It is what allows them to be eternally with God. So what do we do here in America, right? We're talking persecution. We don't really understand that. Uh, So do we wait to be persecuted by the gospel or persecuted to spread the gospel? Like, do we wait until we're in prison to start saying it? No, obviously not. Do we shy away from spreading the gospel because it may get us persecuted? No, by no means, Paul likes to say. We prepare, we ponder, we study. Uh, We always have the gospel on the front of our mind. The Jews have this this thing called a phylactery. Can you guys say that? Phylactery. No, more of you. Phylactery. There you go. Yeah, so it's a a box, essentially, that they wore on their forehead, right? Um, And this was in order to follow uh, Deuteronomy 6, 8, where God says, you shall... um, Take these commandments of mine and write them on your hand, bind them on your hand, and have them as frontlets between your eyes. And so they would take and they would have, uh, like, that verse. They would have a couple verses surrounding that. They would probably have some other important law verses in there. And then they would wear them around their head, these boxes. I think this is so funny, goofy looking. Uh, and then they would have them during the morning prayer, so they would, they would be on the front of their mind. But they missed the point, right? Uh, Jesus is talking to some of the Pharisees that are wearing these phylacteries, and he says, you know, you've, you've made these really big so that people can see you and see how much knowledge you know, right? So imagine if I just put my whole Bible in a box and carry it around. That's what he's saying. Like, but they didn't know. They, didn't, they missed the point. They didn't get the reason for having it on the front of their mind. They missed the commandment to actually love God and love others in a way that says, God loves you. They did it just to show off. And and so they would walk around with these phylacteries, um, but not really living out the gospel. They wouldn't live out what God had commanded them to. And I think, unfortunately, we have the same tendency, right? So how many of us go through 
the motions of our faith, right? We have some of the right answers for when people ask us, like, oh, what religion are you? I'm a Christian. Oh, that's cool. Good. Me too. And they're not, obviously, but uh, we, we go to church. That's another sign that we are Christian. Uh, we pray for our food when we're out at a restaurant. Great stuff. Uh, we even do, like, that one act of kindness thing that I think uh, a couple of the Christian radio stations promote, like, where you pay for the pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks behind you. Listen, all good things, and especially if I'm behind you at Starbucks, because I'm going to be honest, I love pumpkin spice lattes. I'm, I am that girl who takes the picture, <laughs> selfie, hashtag PSL. Like, I'm, uh, you know, like, pumpkin spice lattes are life, so... Fall is my favorite. I have my flannel on. It's, okay, anyways. Those things are good. Those things are good. Don't get me wrong. But I think we miss the point. We don't have the actual spread of the gospel on our mind, on the front of our mind. We're not actually willing to tell people. We might have a few verses memorized, like the Great Commission, go and tell disciples, or uh, the Golden Rule, you know, treat others like you want to be treated. Uh, But... But it goes so much deeper than that, right? We miss the point that the greatest love, the greatest love that we could have for anybody is to tell them about the gospel, to literally speak words. I don't want to get mixed up here. Like, telling people about the gospel is this, words coming out of your mouth. Actions are important, and they back up what you say, but the words coming out of your mouth saying, listen, this is what the gospel is. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He's the, Jesus is the only way the only Savior that you can have. He died for your sins. He, raised, he was raised to life. He came back to life. He's going to come again. He wants you to be a part of his family. He's going to restore all of creation. He's restoring our relationship with him right now as we speak because I believe in him. I love him. I love you. And I want you to know him. I want you to be in eternity with me and with him. That is the gospel in a snapshot. Those words need to come out of our mouth, not directly or, you know, quote, unquote, this is what Pastor Austin says, but in one way or another, those words need to start coming out of our mouth. And then our actions need to back it up. I think that we miss the point here in America because we kind of got comfortable, right? There's no urgency. Um, we, we make friendships with non-Christians, and we're like, okay, we can tell them about the gospel tomorrow. And, and I'm guilty of this, too, right? I'm guilty of this, too. It takes relationship. I, and I would agree with that to some point. But we, we kind of have that comfort or that even kind of lack, lackadaisical, I guess, uh, because we, we have this false guarantee that tomorrow's there, right? Paul, in the jail sale, didn't have the guarantee that tomorrow was going to be there because he might have been persecuted, like he might have been executed. We don't think about that. We kind of live in this security world of ours that says, you're going to wake up tomorrow, that's going to be good. Well, you might not. You might not even make it home. I hope all of you do. I really do. But you might, might not make it home. Yet, tomorrow is not a guarantee. There is an urgency that we don't have in America to have the spread of gospel on our mind. And that's the difference between an earthly mindset, a temporal. The good thing about eternity is that there's no time, right? It goes on and on and on. Time, we, we, time, time stops. It ceases to exist. But here on earth, we have time. So even time, living in that perspective, is an earthly perspective. Eternity says, no, urgency is, is now. 
So we need to live in a manner outside of, the, outside of persecution that says uh, we are motivated to tell people about Jesus because tomorrow isn't a guarantee. I don't want to be morbid. Like, this, this isn't a morbid, I hope this doesn't, like, isn't super depressing for you guys because uh, as Christians, death is a good thing, right? I kind of set that up a little bit. Death is a good thing. It, it, it motivates me. Um, but for non-Christians, death is a bad thing. If they don't know who Jesus is when they die, that's a bad thing. So it motivates me as someone who's on the good side of that to want to tell people who are on the bad side of that. It's a motivation. It's not a morbid thought. I, I don't want it to come across like that. So the second purpose of persecution uh, is this. So we have the first is that it's going to happen. It is happening. The second is this. It is for the refining of the believer. Uh, persecution and, and, and its trials uh, both serve the same purpose for the believer, to strengthen their faith and to move them closer to God by putting us in a position to rely on him fully. So if we look at verse 19, uh, Paul is relying on two things. Uh, he, he's gaining strength from two things while he's in prison, and it's this. One is the prayer of others, the prayer of, of the Philippians, and, and two, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so we said it earlier that the persecution is going to happen, uh, it will happen, and the Bible doesn't shy away from that at all. Uh, but what do we do uh, when it does, or when trials come? I think we should act kind of as Paul did. He allowed uh, his persecution, his circumstances, um, to help him grow in his faith. And he did that by relying on Christ, even in the midst of a difficult situation. Uh, so many of you might know how uh, gold is refined, and if not, I'm going to give you a quick tutorial. Um, so gold is a, a metal, it's a solid. Uh, to refine it, to make it more pure, uh, a refiner will take it, put it into a crucible, and then stick it into a furnace. And that furnace will get as hot as 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And like, I'm pretty sure that's enough to melt your skin in three seconds, I don't know. But it's super hot, right? Uh, so it melts the gold, uh, and all the impurities... Uh, will float to the top. Uh, and the refiner will take out the gold, and with a tool, he'll skim off the impurities, shake them off, and then he'll put the, the gold back into the fire. And, all, and more impurities will sift up to the top, and he'll do that. And he's going to do this process over and over and over again until he takes the gold out and he skims off the impurities, and he can see his own image in the gold. So what do we do? How do we respond, how do you respond when you're ridiculed for being a Christian? What do you do when people slander you? What do you do uh, when your friends start to abandon you or your family starts to abandon you? What do you do if you are uh, called to a country where Christianity is illegal? What do you do if it becomes illegal here? Or if we take persecution out of the equation again, uh, what if you do if you're barely making it? Like those bills are starting to pile up and your income is the same, so this doesn't even out. Or you have a lot of debt. What do you do if someone in your family is dying of cancer? Or that you are dying of cancer? What do you do if you hate your job? If your boss is a jerk? What, what do you do? See, our perspectives as Christians should be so eternally focused above, that we rely on Christ. We trust the sovereignty of God. Uh, we should let the refiner, who is God, use the fire of life to make us more pure, 
to reflect his image even more. And this is the idea we get in, in Malachi 3, if you want to look at that later, uh, when God is described as a refiner, or even more in 1 Peter uh, 1, 6 through 7, it says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious that, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found be, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose, the second purpose of persecution is for us to become more like Christ. For us to know him and be focused on him and to rely on him in the trials of our life. The last purpose of persecution is that persecution is for the encouragement of the saints. Encouragement of others. Paul says in verse 14, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The great news about being a Christian is that we are never alone, right? Amen. Uh, we always have the Holy Spirit, the great comforter in our life, uh, but we also will never be the last Christian on earth. There will always be someone else. And, and I, don't, I don't know, uh, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. I don't know how many of you have gone cliff jumping before, um, but it's one of my favorite summertime activities. Um, it's not very safe, so it's scary at times. Uh, and especially if I'm going somewhere where I don't know, like I haven't been to this cliff before, this river or quarry or whatever it is, uh, I, I really become apprehensive because I know that if I have a fight with the ground from 30 feet up, the ground's going to win, right? So, um, or even the water. Uh, so. I, I get nervous, but if I'm there with another group of people, or if I go with some friends who have been there before, and they know where the rocks are, they know where to jump, and I actually see them do it, and I see them come out, and they're okay, like, all right, <laughs> let's do this. may still be a little bit nervous, but, but I, I've seen others do it. I've seen others come out on the other side. See, as Christians, we know that death isn't, uh, isn't the end, Right? So even if persecution does lead to death, we should be encouraged by that. We should look at others and understand uh, that we have the same power living in us. We have the same strength in Jesus Christ to make it through a persecution, to make it through jail, because other people have. Paul did, right? Stephen was stoned to death. There are, Peter was crucified upside down. <laughs> These are ancient examples. You want to talk about the 27 Syrians who were beheaded last year by ISIS. Yes, we should mourn and weep, but we should also be encouraged. We should look at them and say, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can stand there and not denounce their faith and actually preach while they're dying, I know that God will give me the same power to do it. And, and Paul, in this jail cell, uh, did that, right? He preached, and others around him gained the power and, and the confidence to preach as well. We should be encouraged by the stories of those around us. And, and, and we should allow those to motivate us with the same urgency, because I, I feel like if I'm about to die, if I'm about to be beheaded and I'm preaching, I have some urgency in that preach, in that sermon, right? Because it might be cut off. Uh, pretty soon, no pun intended. 
we need to have the encouragement and be motivated by those around us um, to be urgent and, and to be showing the love and sharing the gospel of Christ. So we have two truths of persecution down. One is that it's going to happen. Secondly, that it has a purpose. And the third, and I think we've been working towards this um, the entire time, is this. Persevering through persecution takes an eternal mindset. Paul is sitting in jail, not sure if he's going to make it out or not, and this is what he says, and I, I love Paul. Like, this is... For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Boom, mic drop, right? <laughs> Who thinks that? That's like the most poetic, awesome thing somebody could say when they're about to die, right? Like, okay, if I live, awesome. If I die, awesome. He's like, it's a superhero movie. I, don't, I, I feel like I'm watching Superman, and he's like, eh, okay, awesome. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, I, I, and I think it's even more awesome because I don't think that that would be my response, right? I, I think I'd be more like, um, yeah, dying is okay. Like, I, I think I'm okay with that. But if you could just give me a moment to t go talk to my wife, maybe. Um, tell her I love her. Uh, if I could go spend some time with the youth group kids again, tell them I love them, and, and say, hey, Jesus loves you. Don't forget that. Um, you know, I, I, or even I think I would probably pray, don't let me die. Like, I'm not ready. Not yet. But Paul goes even beyond that and says, it actually is better for him to die than to live, but it's only for the good of others uh, that, that he wants to live. Paul understood that this world, his body, his love for others, his, his everything on earth is temporary, right? Anything we can see is temporary. He had no worries about tomorrow because he knew that it wasn't a guarantee. His sole focus was on the things that would echo in eternity. Over and over again, Paul talks in his other letters about keeping our eyes on the things above, that, on the things that are unseen, the things that are in heaven, uh, because the things in this world are going to rust, they're going to decay, they're, gonna, they're fleeting. Even our bodies, back to dust one day. He trusted in Christ's promises uh, that the things and glory that God has for us in heaven are way better way better than anything we could gain or even suffer through in this world. Paul's love for Christ is what drove him in life, and it is what gave him his eagerness to depart from this world. Christ tells us uh, to leave everything behind and to follow him. Until we're able to do that, until we're able to let go of everything in this world with, without like, having an open hand rather than clenching it, we will struggle in our faith. We will, we will struggle in our ability to keep eternity in our minds. See, it, it, eternity and an eternal perspective has these things in mind. It's pretty simple, right? Uh, to love God and to love people. Right? That's, that's an internal mindset. So what does that mean? Let's unpack it a little bit more. Uh, to love God is to have a complete devotion, to surrender everything that we have, everything that we are, and to love him deeply. And to love people is the deep, deep compassion and eagerness to have them know the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest love that was ever shown for anybody ever was a man dying on a cross, saving the world. 
and we're called to that same love. To give everything we have so that people can live in eternity and be restored in a creation and be in relationship with God. So we go back to the beginning of the message when I talked about fear, right? As Christians, we shouldn't have a deathly fear of anything, and especially we shouldn't have a deathly fear of death. Now, I'm not saying that you might not struggle with that. Like, it, the fear of the unknown is, is part of death, right? Like, we don't necessarily what it looks like, so we might get anxious. But it shouldn't hinder us. In fact, I would say that uh, a love for Christ and our desire for him should be at the level that we are ready for death and eager to be with him after our death. See, death for Christians is easier than life. It takes strength to live in a world that wants to bring you down, right? It takes strength to love people who don't love you back. It takes strength to be light, hope, holy, in a place that is dark and broken. It takes strength to work for somebody who doesn't like you. It takes strength to deal with disease. It takes strength to deal with poverty. It takes strength to look at the things around us and not feel hopeless and lost. So how do we do it? How do we have this eternal mindset? How do we keep moving forward when your boss does yell at you or when you are dealing with a disease? Or how do we love and share the good news to those who don't want to listen? We do what Paul does. We trust in the promises that Christ has, and, and we trust in his word when it says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah. And then we love in the same way. We love others in the same way. You see, our love for Christ is strength to live, and readiness to die. Our love for Christ is strength to live and readiness to die. We should be so eternally focused that this life is for showing others that we love Christ, and our death should be for showing others that we love Christ. All other love, all other things, all other people should not compare to our love for Christ. Like I said, I think it is tough for us as Americans to, to really understand persecution because we don't experience it in the same way that others do. I think it is tough for us to understand eternity because we're quite comfortable here, right? There's not, as Christians go, there's not a really a, a, a struggle for us. We're comfortable in the present, too. See, we need to shed off our focus of these temporal things, the, these things that are restricted by time, or these temporary things. And start to gain the eternal perspective. A, perspe a perspective that I think persecution brings to clarity. And I think we will face a persecution. We will face trials that are temporary. But that will have eternal ramifications. Christ loved us so much that he went through the worst types of persecution, right? He had the worst trials. He was slandered against. He was ridiculed. So there's the ones that we really deal with. But then he was beaten, stripped, stripped naked, tortured, and killed because he had an eternal perspective. That's the beginning of the gospel message, of the good news. And we should love others with the same perspective, that our love would be strength to live through anything and readiness to die through anything. 
we, yes, you and, and me, uh, should be more eager and bold to actually share our faith, to use words out of our mouth, speak the gospel. We should not fear life or death, and our love for Christ should allow us to say with Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we close, I'm going to read um, from 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 15, I'm going to read uh, 50 through 58. And this is an encouragement and challenge to us that death and other trials and other hard times of life are, are temporary. And we're supposed to be eager and steadfast and hold, hold fast about sharing the gospel to others. So let's read. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imperish the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen? Let's pray.